the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Listen, if you find that you are presently being falsely accused by a non-Christian, even if it's not a life-threatening accusation, you still need to consider how things will turn out in the end. Because in the end, God will clear you of all of these false accusations, and the truth about you will be known by all. Have you ever been falsely accused? I don't know about you, but as the saying goes, I hate it when that happens. Seriously, that is probably one of my biggest faith challenges. It takes some God-given willingness to respond the way He wants me to respond. So, if you're anything like me in that regard, don't go away. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching from Psalm 37, and we've titled this series, Fret Not Because of Evildoers. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today is the midpoint of Pastor Steve's concluding message in this series. So if you missed any earlier broadcasts, I'll tell you later how to get caught up. It seems like baseball has been overthrown as our national pastime. I think the new national pastime is outrage. Spend any time on Facebook or listen to the radio and TV, and you'll get a massive dose of indignation over injustice, both real and imaginary injustice. And, as often as not, it's Christians who are the most upset. Well, how should we respond to injustice? That's what Psalm 37 is all about. In verses 32 through 34 of this psalm, David told his readers, The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Let's talk about that first, and then Pastor Steve will move on to showing us how we should handle it when we are falsely accused, but God has not yet intervened to make it all right, as he promised. Now, the fact that David speaks of a believer being condemned when he is judged leads us to believe that David is talking about a situation where a believer is put in a position of being judged in a court of law in order to get a guilty verdict that condemns him to death. We certainly see this illustrated. It's not hard to understand the situation like this. You see it illustrated in the life of our Lord. There are a number of places in the New Testament where we read that the Jewish religious leaders were deliberately watching Jesus, listening to his teaching, giving him tough questions, why they were trying to trap him into saying something that would incriminate him and legally get him in trouble with either the Romans and their laws or else with the Jewish people over a violation of the law of Moses. For example, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9, we read, departing from there, he went into their synagogue And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath 
And then we read, so that they might accuse him. This was not an honest question. They deliberately were asking this, spying him out, watching him, so they might accuse him. Accuse him of what? Accuse him of breaking the law of Moses and being worthy of death. And he said to them, what man is there among you as a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and was restored to normal like the other. But it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. They considered him a a lawbreaker, but it was never breaking the law to be compassionate to somebody on the Sabbath. See, their goal was to have him put to death. So they were watching him in the synagogue, hoping to come up with some action of his that would make him guilty, thus worthy of death. We read the same thing, but even more pronounced in Matthew 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Now, it's very interesting. Matthew tells us what Jesus said to his disciples. Then the scene shifts to the Jewish leaders plotting the Lord's death. We read, then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying not during the festival, means not during Passover. Otherwise, a riot might occur amongst the people. Now, Jesus told his disciples, he predicted that his death would go through Rome's legal system. We know that because he spoke about death by crucifixion, because that's the only way that crucifixion could be legally carried out. It had to go through Rome. The Jewish people did not have the power to put anyone to death, let alone crucifixion. So the Jewish religious leaders were spying on him, looking for a way to seize him in private, away from the general population. They would try him, they would bring him to the Roman authorities, and then make sure he was executed. In fact, this attempt to condemn Jesus was behind their now famous theological question about, was it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? See, if Jesus says, don't pay any taxes to Rome, then he's in trouble with Rome then he's branded as an insurrectionist, a a man guilty of treason, and then worthy of death by the Romans. That's what's behind their question. And if he does say to pay taxes to Rome, then he could be accused of being disloyal to the, the Jewish nation, and he would lose his following. You see, it was just a wicked attempt by wicked people to entrap the Lord so that he would be put on trial by Rome and then be condemned to die. Now, David in Psalm 37, says that this is what was happening because some unbelievers, those who would have to be considered the worst of the worst, what they were doing, they were spying on believers, watching them for the purpose of catching them in what they would consider to be a crime so that they might be arrested, tried, and condemned for breaking the law, and then executed for their so-called crime against the state. That's what David is explaining. Now, you may think that this is so far removed from us as American Christians that it just has no relevancy 
no application for us. However, never underestimate the wickedness of the human heart, of human nature. And don't be naive as to where our culture, our society is headed in terms of the persecution of Christians. It was Charles Spurgeon who said over a hundred years ago that, and I quote, if it were not for the laws of the land, we should soon see a massacre of the righteous. Now, folks, that was said over a hundred years ago. Some of the laws of our land may soon be changing, so that's to be a believer in Christ who speaks the truth of God in our society may very well be considered a hate crime punishable by death. But notice what David says will happen when the wicked do try to legally condemn believers to death. Surprisingly, he says this, the Lord will not leave him in their hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Now, why do I say surprisingly David said this? I say surprisingly because history is filled with incidents that are completely contrary to what David says here. There have been many Christians who have been judged and condemned to death and then put to death. This was certainly true during the Reformation when the Roman Catholic Church burned at the stake many godly Christians for their faith in Christ and nothing else, their faith in Christ. So how are we to understand David's statement that the Lord will not leave a believer in the hands of the wicked to be judged and then condemned to death? Well, we have to back up and say we know that David didn't make a mistake. We know that he didn't make an error because he's an inspired writer, inspired by the Spirit of God. And God always speaks the truth, never speaks error, never says a mistake. His word is inerrant and infallible, meaning it has no errors, it has no mistakes, it is never misleading. So we understand that. That's a non-negotiable. David didn't make a mistake. Apparently, what David has in mind is what we've been saying, this long look ahead. How things will ultimately end up in the future when all who have been condemned for their faith during their time on earth will be vindicated at the end, in glory, in heaven. See, there are times when God does deliver his people physically. We know that. There have been times he does that from the hands of those who seek to put them to death. That happens. However, there are many Christians around the world who are presently, our brothers and sisters, who are presently being murdered for their faith. But in time, in the end, God's justice will prevail. That's the message of Scripture. That's what David was talking about. The verdict of condemnation that believers received in this lifetime will be reversed. So that as someone has put it, eternity shall clear away the condemnation of time. Listen, if you find that you are presently being falsely accused by a non-Christian, even if it's not a life-threatening accusation, you still need to consider how things will turn out in the end. Because in the end, God will clear you of all of these false accusations, and the truth about you will be known by all. So what should you do in the meantime? What do you do while you experience these false accusations, these lies and slanders against you? What do you do when you're hurting? You hear people deliberately lie about you. Well, David tells us what to do 
in the meantime, in the next verse, verse 34, he says, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. David exhorts us to be patient. He says, wait for the Lord. What he means is wait for the Lord to straighten everything out. When he clears your name, when he clears your reputation, sometimes this happens in our lifetime so that David can tell these Jewish believers of his day that God will exalt them so that they will inherit the land, meaning the land in Israel, while the wicked, he says, will be cut off from the land, meaning the land in Israel. But even when God doesn't clear our names and exalt us in this lifetime, he will certainly do it when at the end of time, when he reveals the truth about us and brings about our true inheritance in heaven. But notice that David doesn't only tell us to wait for the Lord. He also tells us that while we are waiting for the Lord to exalt us, we are to keep his way. Do you see that in verse 34? Wait for the Lord and keep his way. You see, no matter how difficult life may be now, and for some of us it's very difficult, especially if unbelievers make your life difficult, the Bible commands us to persevere in our faith by obeying the Lord. That's to be our priority. That's to be our focus. Peter, in his first letter, was writing to people who were undergoing intense persecution by the Roman government. But listen to what he says to them. First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning the coming of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. He's saying, stay the course. Don't go backwards. Don't fall back into your former ways of life. Be obedient. Don't be conformed to that other wicked stuff. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Even as they suffered by being persecuted, Peter tells them to fix their hope on the return of Jesus Christ and to remain obedient to the Lord. Notice he says the same thing essentially to these suffering Christians in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And then he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, meaning the pagans, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, what is he talking about? Peter says we are to maintain behavior, godly behavior, excellent behavior amongst the Gentiles, even those who are persecuting us, so that some of them, some of these pagans who now slander us as evildoers, some of them will be convicted of their sin, convicted by the good, godly, loving response that we have to their evil. And some of them, because of that, will become Christians themselves. That's what he means, that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. When the Lord returns, that's the day of visitation. Some of these evil people will glorify him because of the way that you demonstrated godliness to them. Now, on a more personal note, in 1 Peter chapter 3, to some Christian women who suffer 
by being married to very difficult, unbelieving men. Peter tells them also to focus on obedience, on godly behavior. First Peter 3, 1, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that's his way of saying they're not believers, they're disobedient to the word. They may be one, one in what way? One to Christ without a word by the behavior of their wives. He's telling them, you be godly even if you live with a very ungodly man. See, regardless of how difficult things may be, the Bible calls us always to pursue obedience. So the first truth that David tells us about what will happen next in the end is that in the end, believers will be exalted. That's a day we're looking forward to. That's a day that we long for. That's a day that we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. But having mentioned the future of the righteous, David now proceeds to tell us what will happen in the end to the wicked. He tells us, and by wicked he means unbelievers, he tells us that in the end, unbelievers will just be gone, gone. Verse 35, he says, I've seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. David acknowledges that he has personally observed some wicked people. He's watched this. He's seen this. Men who he says were violent, but they were thriving like rich, green, luxuriant trees planted in their native soil, which means that their roots went down deeply into the earth. They look good. In other words, he's describing these wicked, violent people as those who proudly show themselves off as wealthy and prosperous and flourishing. It's like they're strutting about, putting themselves on display for all to see. Now, these are exactly the kind of people that David's readers were fretting over. David said, I've seen it. I know what you're talking about. But even though David saw these people, notice he's not fretting. He's not upset. Not like his readers. Why? Why was David so calm, poised, and not upset over the same people that others were seeing? Well, he tells us why, why he didn't fret in the very next verse. Verse 36, he says, then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. David says that this wicked person who once flourished and strutted and showed off his wealth and success suddenly says he passed away. He died, and therefore, he could not be found. He was just gone. I want to stop here for a few minutes and consider what David is telling us, because there's much more here than we might at first realize. You see, when David says that this once violent, once successful, wealthy person is just no more, even though he sought for him, couldn't find him, he means that not only that this man has died, but that in dying... He leaves no trace behind that he ever existed. No trace. In other words, those wicked people who once thrived and looked invincible as they oppressed the righteous, when they died, no one remembered them after a few years. It's as if they never existed. As one Bible teacher put it, he said, men whose names were in everybody's mouths but yesterday are forgotten tomorrow very sobering truth. See, this is why we should never, ever fret or envy those unbelievers who presently have power 
and wealth and prestige because their fame and their influence is so very short-lived. The temptation, though, for all of us is to put far too much emphasis on how things appear presently. People, their situations, rather than looking ahead and considering what the outcome of their lives will be. That's exactly what David is teaching us to do. David says that though a wicked person appears to be strong and vibrant, just like a healthy tree that's never been moved, its roots go deep into the native soil, he'll pass away and he'll be no more. Nothing. See, current appearances can be very deceptive. It's an important lesson for all of us to learn. Don't look at current appearances. Jesus spoke about the danger of being duped by how things look, how they appear. He said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus said that the broad way is the way that it looks good, it's a, it looks attractive, it looks appealing, and therefore it's the road, he said, that most people take. It's the road that the crowd certainly takes, and they all seem to be happy on that road. However, appearances can be very misleading, because Jesus said that this broad way leads to destruction meaning not only death, but God's judgment, his wrath at the end of life forever. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you've heard me mention him a number of times and quote from him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, before becoming a Christian and a pastor, as a young man, he had been a very successful medical doctor in London. And as a result, he socialized and moved with the upper crust of English society. Therefore, having walked down both of these roads, the broad and the narrow, he was uniquely qualified to comment on both of these roads. Here's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about the broad way. He said, the end of the one is destruction of the other life. The trouble in life today is that people look only at the beginning. Their view of life is what we may call the cinema or the film star view of life. It always attracts, and all those who live that life are apparently having a marvelous time. Alas, that so many young people are brought up to think that that is life, and that to live like that must be supreme happiness. But look at the end of those people. Look at them passing in and out of the divorce courts as they turn marriage into licensed prostitution. But people are attracted by the appearance. They look only at the surface. They look only at the beginning. They don't look at this type of life in its end. They give no thought whatsoever to the ultimate outcome. Nevertheless, it is as true today as it has ever been, and the Bible has always said it, that the end of these things is destruction. Oh my, we see it in the headlines all the time, don't we? NFL stars convicted of murder committing suicide, singers and actors found dead from drug addiction, and on and on. Our society thinks that getting rich and famous is the way to the good life. Hmm. Experience and the Bible say something quite different. And then we come to the end. As it says in Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed for men to die once, 
and after this comes judgment. But it goes on, and this is encouraging to me. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could be here. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 if you have any questions. For more information about Lakeside, including service times and directions, call that same number, 727-441-1714. Or if you're on the internet, go to www.lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. If you'd like to know more about us or listen to previous broadcasts, check out our website, firstbyverseradio.org. There's no charge for downloading or streaming any of the audio files, but we do have a giving page if the Lord is leading you to help support this ministry. If you're already giving toward Verse by Verse, thank you for your support. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. It's been a pleasure to have you along for this series of lessons from Psalm 37. King David had some wonderful encouragement for us as we face a world where justice seems to be upside down and inside out. Next time we meet, Pastor Steve will bring us the conclusion of our series called Fret Not Because of Evildoers. There are more warnings yet to come for the wicked and more encouragement for the godly. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.